Welcome to the Building Better Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Eterbity. As a board-certified nurse coach, I'm passionate about helping others stop struggling and start succeeding. Here, I share my experiences as an operating room nurse, a former wife, and a mother of three in an effort to create connections and help you build something better. Welcome to episode 13. I know that a lot of people think the number 13 is unlucky or has some sort of negative power associated with it, but 13 for me is a very lucky number. It was my number growing up playing most sports, um, mainly because no one else wanted it. And it's the number of the March 13th was the day that I became a mom. And really stepped into a whole new chapter in my life. And so I I think 13 is a fantastic number. And today I wanted to celebrate some of the most fantastic moments I've had in nursing, or at least inspirational moments, I should say. So a quote I came across said that gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. And that quote really made me think about these inspirational moments that kept coming to mind and how these moments gave me a meaning for experiences I had been through up until that point. It helped me find peace in the moment that I was witness to these beautiful acts of love and caring and kindness. And then it also kind of gave me a vision for the future on where I wanted to take my nursing practice and my career and what I wanted to embody as a caregiver. So the first one is um, an an experience I had when I was still fairly new to nursing. Uh, I was in my first year as a nurse. I was still in the general call pool and I was a circulator. And so for this particular day, I remember I was on call. It was later in the evening and we were actually bringing a patient back to the OR who had had surgery earlier in the day at the surgery center next door. And I don't recall much of the surgery itself, It was what followed the surgery in our recovery room that really stood out for me. So I was with one of um, my anesthesia providers whom I feel is near and dear to my heart. Um, I think of him very often and very fondly and respect him not only as a provider, but as a human being. And uh, this particular provider had noticed that the patient was decompensating in recovery. And the reason that this was so significant was that this particular patient had a DNR. And for those of you who may not be in the medical field, a DNR is an order of do not resuscitate, meaning that if that patient faces any life-threatening conditions that we are not to intervene, or there could be certain guidelines that the patient wishes that we only do certain parts of, say, resuscitating them. When we go to the operating room, part of our anesthesia consents state that we suspend those orders. And the reason being, we are going to be pushing medications and doing things that render that patient not only paralyzed and incapable of breathing on their own, but putting them in a state that they can't take care of themselves. We assume that responsibility, and in doing so, we can't put ourselves in a situation that we would take away their capacity to breathe and then not intervene. So with that being said, I think... In healthcare, we want it to be black and white. We want to always know what the right answer is. And sometimes the right answer isn't necessarily what's easy, but it's what's ethically or morally 
correct according to our compass or our patient's compass and being seasoned and confident in your practice that you can follow that instead of needing to always rely on rules and regulations, I think is where the art of healthcare comes in. So this particular patient was decompensating and in those moments, we would normally reintubate. We would step in and begin taking control of everything going on with that patient. And the patient was conscious and the anesthesia provider went over and pulled up a chair and sat down with this patient and had one of the most beautiful conversations that I'd ever had the privilege of witnessing. And he explained to the patient that while rules would dictate that this is normally what we would we would do, we would reintubate the patient, the anesthesia provider did not feel that that was in the greatest service to the patient because he knew what his wishes were. And he didn't want to subject him to intubation, especially if he was not in um, a state in which he was going to recover and wanted to honor what his wishes were. And after having this discussion, he further explained that because the patient was medicated, he really did need to involve the family and ask that he could bring them into recovery and have kind of a family care conference and discuss the options. And I went to the lounge after that to eat some dinner and get ready for the next case. And I saw this healthcare provider and the patient and the patient's family transferring to the critical care unit shortly thereafter. And I'm assuming since the patient wasn't intubated that they were moving there to give them privacy and the ability to spend those final moments in the way that the patient wanted rather than, you know, following protocols and procedures and dishonoring what that patient's wishes really were, really trying to care for them in alignment with what their beliefs were. And it was a pivotal moment because it really helped me make sense of being in nursing school. It's so regimented and they want to give you black and white scenarios where you choose what the correct answer is. Even if all four answers are somewhat correct, they want you to choose the best answer every single time. But there's no real discussion about moral and ethical obligation. And I think that that that's okay, because when we are students, we are learning and we do need that solid kind of concrete foundation to base our decisions on, but with experience and not just the experience yourself of working with a patient, but being involved in situations like this, where you get to see other seasoned healthcare providers use their ethical and moral compass and really truly honor a patient's wishes is so beautiful and meaningful. And it sets such a great example. And it helped me make peace with what I learned in school. And it helped me in that moment be thankful that we weren't just going to stick tubes in someone because we were scared of lawsuits or because that's what the rules tell us to do, that we were truly trying to honor what that patient wanted for themselves and for their family. And it helped me really start to understand my vision for what type of provider I wanted to be moving forward and that it wasn't necessarily 
going to be black and white, that there was going to be a lot of gray and that being in tune with who I was and my core values was going to be very important for how I showed up as a nurse. And although this particular example I highlighted was a case of life and death, sometimes the beauty that I've been able to witness in the operating room is something that happens on a regular basis and slowing down to take notice and appreciate it has really helped me, again, hone my craft as a nurse in the operating room. One of our other anesthesia providers has a beautiful practice that when she meets patients and introduces herself and really talks to them about what's about to happen in the operating room and calms them from the moment she meets them in pre-op all the way through induction in the operating room. And for those of you who haven't been to the operating room, or if you have been there as a patient, uh, more than likely you have very fuzzy, if any, memories of your induction process. And that's that's the process in which we pass medications to a patient so that they ha- undergo a general anesthetic and they're unconscious. Um, sometimes it can be um, twilight sedation, or um, sometimes patients are conscious. They're awake and they receive either a spinal, such as in cases of um, childbirth, so that they can still be awake, but not have any sensation or pain in the region that we're conducting the surgery. So most of the cases that I would say I attend, there's there's a lot of noise in the background. There's people opening trays, there's people counting, there's oftentimes music in the radio. And not that it's a bad thing, it is a work environment. And when we create positive energy and we have a flow going, it's a very key component in a successful uplifting day. Likewise, though, there are moments that our patients are awake and they are incredibly vulnerable. And I think from the moment I meet a patient in pre-op, whether it's an elective case or somewhat emergent, we're meeting them at a time in which they are handing over trust to us to take care of them. They are no longer going to be in control. And patients can get very vulnerable feeling that they're going to be exposed and be naked in the operating room. They are going to be exposed emotionally because they're scared and they start to contemplate, what's my life going to look like after this? Some people have fear of anesthesia and whether or not they're going to wake up depending on the surgery that they're having. They don't know how their healing process is going to be. They don't know if this is diagnostic where they're going in to get an answer as to what's wrong with them or if it's cancer or if there is a solution. So during the course of a day, we might perform one or two or five cases, and we see surgery all the time. But our patients, this is often the first time, or in rare instances where this is their fifth or seventh or tenth surgery, because maybe they have a condition or they're very sick, it's it's a very scary moment for them to hand over all of the control to people that oftentimes they've never met. And this anesthesia provider will set the tone of the room. She is not overly loud. She has a beautiful demeanor and carries herself with such grace and such poise. 
and she can instantly command the respect in a room and set the tone so that everyone is focused on the patient. And that in that moment, when they are feeling the most vulnerable, she comforts them. She will often stroke their face. She will ask them to pick out happy thoughts or a good dream and promise them that we're going to take excellent care of them and that when they wake up, they're going to be in recovery. And it's such a fantastic message and gift to give not only the patient, but the operating room staff, because it's, it's almost like this moment of connection for all of us in which we recognize that we are privileged to be carrying out the work that we are about to conduct and that a human being is trusting us to carry out our duties and being witness to this every time it impresses me. It takes my breath away. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to witness it as well as work with this provider, because I feel that she instills in me this, this call to advocate for our patients. And that includes advocating for a calm, connected environment. And I really admire this because this is, this is art when you see it, when you see a lot of other people go through the motions and I don't mean it to be critical of them because I think that we work with a number of fantastic providers and much of what we do is a job. When you do have the privilege of seeing someone like this who day in and day out approaches their work with this beautiful sense of compassion, it really helps inspire everyone else that's in the room. And another fantastic experience that I've been able to bear witness is from another anesthesiologist. However, it does not have to do with actually performing anesthesia. Dr. Paul Mosling is one of the best anesthesiologists and more importantly, human beings that I've ever met. I find Paul to be incredibly intelligent and compassionate and so funny and playful, which I think really are key ingredients to not only having um, a great work relationship, but just enjoying life in general. And if you've had the opportunity to work with Dr. Mosling, I just, you'll know exactly what I mean by saying he is so accomplished, yet so humble and such a great healthcare provider. Dr. Mosling was very well known at our facility for the time that he would take with pediatric patients. And Paul worked in every level of our healthcare team, including our cardiac team. And it was the pediatric patients getting to see him get down and interact with these children was inspiring because just like the rest of us, the kids are also vulnerable. They're scared. These are their first experiences with healthcare providers, and it's about to set the tone for what their expectations are are going to be for the rest of their lives. And these kids are there because either they're sick or they have a disability or we're trying to figure out something that's going on with them. 
And oftentimes that includes diagnostic screening. So it could be an MRI or a CT scan. And particularly the MRIs, it's a dark room. It is very loud and the patient's oftentimes in there by themselves. And so it can be very intimidating. And um, patients also often feel closed in and can be claustrophobic because of how small the machine is. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to kids, I think a lot of times providers ordering exams will just order them with anesthesia because it's easier. It's easier if they are knocked out because they won't move. We can get the best imaging and it means that we can still have an efficient day and move along because it's it's very time oriented then. However, it's not always the best thing for the patient because when you're dealing with really young kiddos, drug exposure is very hard on their organs, especially their kidneys, their liver. Um, general anesthesia is um, not the best thing for their developing brains. And it's easier to give them a general anesthetic, but it takes the right provider who wants to do what's right versus what's easy to really make a difference in that patient's life. And getting to see Paul, he would spend the time with these patients and talk to them about their interests, about the procedure that we were doing. He'd ask them, um, cause oftentimes these poor little kiddos hadn't had anything to eat or drink, knowing that we were possibly doing a general anesthetic. And he'd talk to them about like their favorite cookie or if they liked donuts or, Another thing that Dr. Moslin was known for getting down in the lounge was bacon. And after he'd spend time with these kiddos, nine out of 10 times, in fact, thinking about it, I don't know that I ever saw a kid actually still need a general anesthetic if Dr. Mosling was their provider. He would walk with these kids. So anyone else, the kids would be on a gurney. We would push them through the hospital. It can be very intimidating. Paul would take these kids by the hand and let them choose where we were walking. And if it meant that it was going to take an extra 10 minutes for us to get to MRI because the little kiddo got to feel like they were in control over what was happening with them, that's what it meant. And and in some roundabout way, Dr. Mosling would find a way to direct the patient so that they would swing by the lounge downstairs. And in the cafeteria, um, he would let them pick a donut or a package of Oreos, something that that kiddo had mentioned up in pre-op, and then take it with them so that when they went to CT or to MRI, it was in there waiting for that little kiddo. And they knew that they were going to get that if they could hold still. It was so awesome to see this because not only was he doing the right thing by the patient, but he was doing it knowing that there was not going to be an audience cheering him on. Anesthesia providers who do right by the patient and don't provide that general anesthetic, Dr. Mosling never got paid for any of those cases because he didn't actually provide a medical service. What he did provide was a humane connection with that patient and helped them not only through that moment that they were experiencing in this diagnostic test, but impacting the rest of their lives because they had a positive outcome and experience with a healthcare provider so that the next time that they had to go to the doctor or they had to go have imaging, they weren't traumatized by 
previous experiences of someone shoving an IV in their arm or, um, and that's not meant to be critical. I know that there are times that we have to do what we need to do to take care of these kiddos. But when we do have the opportunity, like when Dr. Mosling did, to take a moment and slow down and connect with that patient and do what's right, it is so honorable and inspirational. And it really, really helped me continue to think about what I wanted my practice to look like as a healthcare provider. The last experience that really kept popping up when I thought about recording this episode, unfortunately happened after we lost a patient in the operating room. And for my particular field in the cardiac arena, it happened more frequently there than any other specialty. And I can tell you that our team took every loss to heart. For a while, I could recite the name of every patient that we lost because it was so impactful on my soul. As healthcare providers, the time that we spend with our patients is away from our family. And especially those moments where we're on call or we're coming in for emergencies, more than likely there was something else that we had planned. And not meaning that we didn't know we were on call. We all always know we're on call. But it was more, there's lots of times that you don't get called in and life has to continue. You still plan to shampoo your carpets. One time I got called in and the shampooer was left on the stairs and my family came home and they knew right away that I had been called in. So there's something else, like you're still living your life. And when you have to step away to go in and care for someone, it's not just being invested in that patient, but you are giving up a part of your life in order to help rescue someone. And in some ways, when that patient passes, it's it's this, this failure that we carry because we don't feel that we were good enough or strong enough or fast enough. We will replay every single moment. We will wonder if we made the right choices. And I remember that the particular patient that keeps coming to mind, it was one of my first coroner cases. And when patients pass away in the operating room, we wait for the coroner. And so there's this period where we are still with your loved one. And for me, when I was a clinical team lead, I had a rule that we never left the body unattended. We were always vigilant and staying by their side until we returned them to their loved one. And I remember feeling so defeated and sad for the patient and for the patient's family. And when the coroner showed up, he he could sense that we were all really struggling because we tried so hard. And in that moment, I was caught off guard because the coroner came over and gave me a hug and started unbuttoning his shirt. And he showed me that a number of years earlier, he had actually been an open heart patient and he wanted me to know that he saw me and he saw our loss and he had that he expressed how sorry he was. And then he asked me to keep going 
to keep fighting because there are the patients that we do save and there are the ones that we make a huge difference in their life. And any time that I have felt defeated, I've thought about that moment because what he represented was my vision for the future. He was giving me a glimpse at that next patient that we were going to win. And it helped me carry on and stay committed to my calling as a provider. To each and every one of the providers that I highlighted on this episode, I would like to extend my gratitude for the opportunity to have worked with all of you. I see all of you as incredibly humane, compassionate providers. And I want you to know that you played significant roles in shaping me and helping me define who I wanted to be as a provider. Mahatma Gandhi said, the greatness of humanity is not in being human, but in being humane. And I would ask each of you to take a moment and think about your experiences in the operating room and consider all of the incredible providers that you have had the opportunity to witness their artwork. Because truly, what we do is an art. When we're in there following guidelines and regulations and what our textbook tell us, it's science. When we combine that with our humanity and our ability to see our patient and really connect with them, that's where it becomes art. And then I want you to think about what you are bringing to your environment at work and the ways in which rather than complete tasks and check boxes, how can you begin to hone your craft and conduct yourself as though you were a painter or a sculptor and know that, yes, there are duties to be carried out, but we can greatly impact the outcome of our patients by slowing down, listening, and connecting. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my message today. I hope that you found some value. Maybe you're able to take away some inspiration and practice some gratitude for moments that you have experienced. And if you would like to share these with me, I would be honored to hear about those moments of humane, caring, compassion in the operating room. Message me, email me, share your story, and share this episode with others. It's how I spread my message and connect with my audience and help other healthcare workers transform from workers into healthcare warriors. I hope you have a great day. Thank you for joining me today. I am honored to connect with you and grateful for the opportunity to be of service. If you have a comment, question, or an idea for the show, please send a message through Instagram, Facebook, and my website, buildingbettercoaching.com. Please take a moment to share this with other healthcare workers, moms, and parents looking to support their kids. I've been called to help people stop struggling and start succeeding, and it's listeners like you that help me fulfill my purpose. Thank you. Thank you.